You're listening to the PWBA Podcast, the show about the current superstars and legends of the Professional Women's Bowling Association. Join Bold TV's Neil Williams Jr. and Aaron Smith as they bring you a collection of stories, history, and the latest happenings from the best women bowlers in the world. It is time for episode number four, ladies and gentlemen, and I feel that we just started this a couple of weeks ago, and we're already to episode four, and that's a great thing. This is the PWBA podcast here on Bowl TV. My name is Emil Williams, Jr., and as always, pleased to be joined by Aaron A. A. Ron Smith. By the way, do you like me saying A. A. Ron every time? I mean, you could tell me to stop. You know what? I've I've gotten used to it over the the past couple of years. Uh, Substitute teacher has become a very integral part of my life uh, since you first introduced that to me so uh it's good it's it's fine as long as we don't have another aa run on the show it worked out well when we had aaron mccarthy because she was aaron and i was aa ron so aa ron okay it can stick yes just want to make sure uh today's guest for episode number four is the 2019 u.s open champion none other than danielle McEwen. d mac how are you today hi guys i'm good how's everybody we're well we are doing good, and uh, obviously, as, as well as we can do, uh, of course, with what's happening with the world and the, and the state uh, of our country, and obviously, it's affected us, but it certainly has affected you um, as a player and someone who is a, the, the utmost professional bowler, someone who's always been um, a full-time competitor. So having said that, how are you keeping busy um, in, in this different world that we're in when you're used to being all over the place all the time? I am. I miss traveling. I definitely miss it all. But, um, you know, honestly, I'm really not having a hard time keeping busy. I'm finding ways of training and keeping up with being disciplined from home, um, enjoying being home, something that I don't normally get to experience, being home with my family, being home with my dog. Um, I've learned a, a couple different activities that I normally don't really have time for, like walking outside or going for little hikes. Um, having time to kind of play board games or video games. Um, I've been playing Donkey Kong with my siblings and Beat Saber and all these other fun little things. And just, you know, it's really not hard for me to keep busy. I think that's just kind of my personality and something that traveling has prepared me for. I spend a lot of time in hotel rooms and airports sitting around where other people may be bored and I have no problem keeping myself entertained and finding things to do. So I think I've been prepared for this. (laughs) Uh, so from all this extra time, any, any new hobbies? Um, my one little hobby that I've picked up is I've downloaded TikTok, um, mostly for Jasper. Jasper now has <laughs> his own TikTok, so go follow him. Um, and I'm just kind of, I still don't know how to use it yet, but I'm having a lot of fun like looking through everybody else's dog videos and kind of putting together our own funny, silly little things. Um, again, running outside, small small hikes not that there you can go really all that far right now but that's stuff that you know during the summer I'm on tour I'm training I don't really have time to go out and do things that are just relaxing and for fun so I'm learning those things as I go what was uh, so, the, oh my bad go ahead. Uh, uh, real quick just for someone who doesn't have it explain TikTok to myself in one sentence silly videos silly um video. pretty much yeah It's kind of, it's just another social media account, so similar to like an Instagram, but it's all, it's not pictures and it's not really writing. It's more focused on videos around music or songs or words. 
and they're all kind of just being silly and goofy. All right. That works. Emil, you could have it's Trey fun. be a, Trey could be a TikTok star soon. Yeah. I've, <laughs> I've, I've done some very, very limited um, exploration with, with TikTok, mainly for, uh, for use, you know, once the season is back on and how we can get players uh, in some TikTok videos and whatnot. But that would be a good opportunity for Trey as well. Um, he might need his own, uh, you know, IG account pretty soon, the way it's going. Um, DMAC, I'm wondering, like, you know, when the first when the first went down as far as, you know, COVID and, you know, things that have affected it, been affected since then, what was the initial shock value just for you as someone, you know, as we mentioned, who was always on the go? Did it hit you, at, you know, immediately like, hey, I, I might not be able to, you know, move about like I normally would? It's been kind of a gradual thing. So I've been following this virus way, way, way before I think anybody really in the States was even thinking or talking about it. We actually saw it for the first time when we went to Iceland, which was back in January. Um, we weren't, we like heard about it in China, but it was really not a discussion at all. And when we landed in Frankfurt, everyone was wearing masks and we were freaked out. We were literally Googling like, what is happening? Why is everybody wearing masks? What are we missing? So from that point on, I was already invested in kind of following everything that was happening. Um, we were supposed to go compete in Europe, early, uh, well, yeah, a couple of weeks ago at this point. So it was always me watching it, kind of thinking, is this something that I should do? Is this a smart decision? Is this going to affect my travel? And then it's kind of just trickled down from there. You know, I, I didn't think that it would ever get to this point, but it's kind of been just like one door closed after another. First, it was international travel then it was domestic travel and then it's pwa tour and then other events and it's just been kind of one at a time but it is a scary thought i don't know how long it's going to take for the world to kind of get back to the point where i feel just comfortable hopping on a plane by myself going to any country in the world and walking around i, I do that all the time i go places by myself and just visit for a day or two and then go on to my event and i don't know if anybody can answer that question if that will ever be the same again that's a very fair point. And you mentioned, uh, you know, kind of being ahead on this. Uh, I believe you were actually planning to go to an event overseas uh, and then decided not to do that in Bowl the World Series Correct. instead. Uh, so I'm going to guess that was one of the motivating factors for making that uh, decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we were following. Um, it was about the week that cases started getting bad in Italy, which is uh, hop, skip, and a jump from Germany, which is where we were going. And, um, you know, it was, again, the tournament was still on. People were still going. It was really us just being overly cautious at the time as to what if, what if we got sick and they didn't let us back in, in the States? What if they canceled the event while we were there? What if there's a travel ban while we're there and we can't get back home? It was even at the point less concerned about being sick because no one knew the severity of this virus at that point, but it was more of a decision about, just being scared. So thankfully we made the right decision looking back at how everything played out. Which event was that again? It was the Euro challenge. So it was in Munich, Germany. And then, so from there you make the decision to uh, obviously compete in the world series. And then you have some success uh, kind of right off the bat, 300, the PTQ, um, then you qualify for match play at the Scorpion and then kind of boom. So just from the performance We'll kind of just start there. Um, you know, what was working well? How did you feel when you were out there? And, 
you know, obviously I know there's some differences between PBA, PWA competition. So how did you work all of that in? Um, from a performance standpoint, I was very happy with um, my performance that week. I came out pretty strong in the PTQ. I don't normally shoot honor scores. So that was really cool to do in a big event like that. Um, I just, my goal of going to the World Series ultimately was just to bowl because I'm a bowler and I want to learn and I want to get the experience. And I felt like if I wasn't going to Germany to compete, I had to compete somewhere. I had to just sitting home. I'm not learning. I'm not getting better. I just had to get out there and do it. So um, it's hard to set high expectations when you're bowling with the guys because it's so situational. There's just, unfortunately, there's some situations that my hands are going to be tied and I'm not going to be able to be successful. And that doesn't mean I can't learn and come up with things that I need to do in the future. But the end result is not always guaranteed. Um, however, in other situations, I feel like I have the advantage over the guys when it comes to finesse and accuracy and playing certain angles. So um, thankfully, the the one pattern I matched up really good on and I was able to take advantage of that. That was a unique uh set up with the world series this year, having the qualifying and then basically the world championships taking place after that. Uh, so you had about a week from when you qualified for the Scorpion to when you would have gone back to start match play. Um, talk a little bit about just, uh, just the mindset in general on that, not even thinking about COVID-19 or anything like that. Uh, kind of knowing you had a week in between, uh, you know, having a great performance, throwing it so well to have to come back mm-hmm. and get right back into match play. Yeah, so well, the two of them kind of tie together dealing with the virus and the format of the event and kind of everything else. So with deciding not to go to Euro Challenge, I booked my flight to go to Vegas and signed up for the PTQ two or three days before the event. It was a last minute decision, literally scrambling to book all the travel stuff, hotel rooms, cars, get my entry fee in. Went out, bowled, bowled the PTQ, bowled the event. There was a seven-day window from the time I qualified for the Scorpion match play till the time I would bowl. And then after the shows, I would go on to Reno to compete in the USBC Masters. So with that seven-day window, I decided, you know, I rushed out here. I don't even have everything set, like, for the Masters, and I don't even have enough clothes. You know, I threw everything together and ran. So I'm going to fly home. Everything was still pretty calm with the virus at this point. Go home get all the stuff I need, come back out, and then I'll go straight to Reno. So again, now I have a flight home from Reno. I'm supposed to have a flight from Germany to Reno. I'm changing flights around, and everything is very confusing and a mess. But thankfully, I had a week home to kind of sort that all out. And then that's kind of when things started changing. Um, As soon as I got home, it was kind of the talk of, would we go back? Would it be safe to go back? Would the tournament stop? This is when they started canceling all the sporting events. So it was kind of my focus shifted from a little bit getting distracted from if I go back, like what I need to do to really compete versus is it safe to go back and kind of watching everything that was going on. And it was actually a last minute decision. I was on my way to the airport when I got the call from PBA saying, I hope you're not on the plane yet because we're canceling it and we're going to postpone it to a later date because it'll be safer that way. Wow. That's uh, that's a tight window there for just kind of all that going together. I know, uh, for some of us, we, uh, with sectionals getting canceled on the collegiate side, um, we had actually already made our flights before we got the news. So obviously it was moving fast paced like that, but, uh, you know, just thinking about, um, if you would have ended up making the trip, um, if the situation would change, would you have wanted to bowl if they would still have the tournament? 
Um, at the time, looking back, I feel kind of silly for thinking the way that I did now, seeing how big this virus has turned into and how life-threatening it is. But at, again, reversing to that time where we didn't really know how bad it was, um, I just had the mindset that, you know, I don't make a cut in men's events every every day. It's actually been years since I've been able to, and it's something I've been working really hard at. So I'm not giving up an opportunity like that. That's why I was on the way to the airport. It wasn't an easy decision. I was petrified, but this is my opportunity. And if they're bowling, I'm going to be there bowling too, regardless of what that means. That means I have to be locked there, drive home, whatever it was, I was going to figure it out and just go. I'm thankful I didn't have to make that decision now. You had some help from uh, some friends in, in Vegas, right? Cause then you had to leave your equipment uh, and then you had to obviously remove it somehow, some way from, yes. <laughs> from South Point. So uh, how did that work out? Who helped you out? Um, Kyle Troop was the one to help me out. Thankfully, um, I left my equipment. We, we were doing the ball hardness testing with USBC the night before I left. I left my equipment with them. It was returned to the paddock. I had, I think it was 15 bowling balls there that again, I had no doubt that I wasn't coming back and then sure. I was just going to take them to Reno with me and put them on the truck for transport. So it was not even a thought process until it was kind of like a last minute thing. Like I canceled my flights. I canceled the room, got back home and then my bowling balls. Oh my goodness. I have 15 bowling balls on the other side of the country that I need. And I think it just happened at the time that he, we're really good friends and he like messaged me or called me about something. And are you in the paddock? Can you do me a favor? Like our huge <laughs> favor, <laughs> like carrying 15 bowling balls to the other side of town and shipping them home for me. I'm, I'm very lucky to have good friends. <laughs> that, is, that is a good friend thing right there for sure. Mm -hmm. um, so now that obviously uh, everyone's staying at home. Um, you know, it, we've seen a lot of cool stuff on social media, folks tr trying to find ways to stay kind of bowling sharp, if you will, or as, as sharp as you can at home. Uh, mm -hmm. what, what are some things at home, uh, that either you're doing or you would recommend folks to kind of, kind of try just to, you know, still kind of keep that same feel. Mm -hmm. Um, again, kind of looping this back to my travel schedule. I feel like that's kind of giving me the heads up for a situation like this. There's a lot of days that I can't get into a bowling center because of traveling or I can't get into the gym and I have to kind of figure out ways to do it, whether from home or in a hotel room or outside wherever I am at the time. So over the years, I've kind of acquired different tools and, um, you know, built whatever I need in my house that I can to make sure that I'm able to stay sharp through those times. I've, bought all the gym materials that I could possibly use from an airport or a hotel room just to kind of stay sharp. The number one thing that I would suggest to people that are struggling with not being able to bowl right now is visual visualization. I think that's the best thing. And if you really get good at it, that you can kind of get yourself in a quiet mindset, you can honestly feel yourself bowling. You can feel your grip pressure. You can feel the ball swinging. You can feel your release. You can work on different things and it, it's really my favorite tool. I use it a lot when even when I am bowling, if I'm just struggling, you know, between events or overnight, you kind of really visualize and get the feel of what feels good and what you're working on. And a lot of times you walk in the next day and you feel better. So I think by people doing that, when we do get to go back to bowling, it'll be that much easier. Um, another thing would just to be get the ball in your hand as often as you can. I think the biggest issue as bowlers that we're going to have when we get back out on the lanes is, dealing with um, our fit and our grip, possibly ripping of our thumbs and our fingers because, you know, our skin builds up that toughness when we're bowling oh, every no day. Calluses. But, 
<laughs> yeah, when we don't, it changes very drastically. So I think whenever you could get the ball in your hand and swing it, whether it means throwing an old ball in the backyard, throwing it at pillows, rolling it on carpet, whatever, be creative, whatever works for you, just, just kind of get your shots in any way that you can. I think we've all seen that one. Uh, there's a post on social media going around with a, it's a picture of a thumb hole with about a whole roll of uh, white tape in it. So that's the thing we want to avoid with this. So. <laughs> yes, absolutely. The uh, visualization, I've heard a, a few athletes talk about that. I would consider you an elite athlete. Um, so if you had to describe or give some kind of tips in for those who want to get to that level from a visualization, uh, visualization, excuse me, perspective, Mm-hmm. You know, what might you recommend? Uh, I imagine there might be some training tools that, that could be had, some books to read, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually learned this technique from the book called The Mental Edge. There's, uh, it might even be more than a chapter, but there's a whole section of the book that just talks about this specific thing. And it talks about it through relating it to a couple different sports. And obviously we would apply it to bowling. Um, but, you know, it really breaks it down exactly where you should be in a quiet spot, no distractions certain things to think about, certain ways to get your mind into the right mindset. Um, I think the best thing to do would really just to do kind of some research, like you said, either through books or use the internet. The internet's the greatest thing at our disposal right now. If you go on YouTube, there'll be whatever you're struggling with, whether it's getting into that quiet mindset or looking for specific things to work on, you can find it right there. How have you used the internet during this time? Um... Unfortunately, to follow a lot of bad stuff, which I need to stop doing. Don't do that. It doesn't help anything. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Stick to TikTok. It's more fun. There we go. I'm going to do that. <laughs> well, speaking of a, a, at least a good internet moment, um, a few weeks ago, we posted a, a winning moment on the PWBA Facebook page of the uh, 2019 U.S. Women's Open. You were the champion delivering in the 10th frame for that moment. Uh, so we just wanted to go back and kind of look back at that stepladder final, two great matches for you. Uh, first, having to deliver a double to beat Shannon and then the great match against Tanya. Uh, looking back at that now, that's been some time. Just uh, kind of what are your fondest memories of of that whole experience? All of it. It's hard to just pick, uh, you know, a certain situation or a specific point of it other than just kind of grabbing the trophy at the end. That's definitely a moment that I'll never forget. Um, but just to, to win the U S open, the U S open's always been my favorite tournament. It's always been the hardest, the most grueling, challenging, longest, hardest conditions, everything that makes bowling tough all thrown into one event is the U.S. Open. So from my very first time I ever bowled it, I remember finishing the 56 games and just crying. And I wasn't crying because I was upset. I wasn't crying because I was happy. I was just so into, you know, when you're so absorbed into something with your whole heart for so long, it's the most exhausting thing that I've ever been through. And I just didn't know how else to handle my emotions. And granted, I was younger at the time. I can handle it better now, thankfully. But those are the, the things that learning that through through all the times that I bowled the U.S. Open that led to me being able to be successful this year. Were there any uh, particular points in, in both respective matches? Um, uh, actually, can you describe your process? And it, and it may not change from the start of the tournament to, you know, the end on television, for example, but, you know, how you keep yourself, you know, in your respective zone, how you handle yourself uh, on television, especially 
and the magnitude of which the U.S. Women's Open uh, carries, and it you know it can it can hang over one's head. You know, it could feel like it's a lot of pressure. So, how did you manage all of that, and obviously, ultimately hoist, hoist the trophy? I try really hard to keep everything consistent. Um, I believe that if I practice like I'm bowling the U.S. Open, and I bowl my local tournaments in my town, like I'm bowling the U S open. And then I bowl the U S open show, like I'm bowling the U S open. It doesn't change. So if, if I were to walk onto the set of the biggest tournament of the year, the title match of the U S open and kind of think that thought, this is huge. Look at the cameras, look at the trophy. I need to do this. This is, and made it any different or more significant than any other event I bowled in the past. There's no way that I would be able to perform at my best. So it's kind of a line between upplaying other situations and downplaying certain situations to just keep it consistent across the board. Now, one of the, obviously the biggest moments of that match uh, in the, in the title match, 10th frame stepping up, having to, having to throw uh, the double and an eight to get the win. Uh, those first two shots were just, you know, picture perfect for, uh, I'm, I'm sure that situation uh, just kind of, Kind of talk about the mindset going through each of those shots. Uh, are you a score watcher? Were you kind of aware of the situation? Or was it just, I know I still need to throw good shots. Who's talking to you? Kind of all that. Um, I knew the situation in the score, but in the match, but I wasn't really focused on that. I was 100% focused on what I had to do from me to the foul line and hitting my mark and then not even thinking about the pins falling or anything else. I was 100% absorbed in the things that I could control. And I believe I was able to make those shots because I didn't a hundred times before that. There's been so many opportunities that I've been able to get up in the back of a game, whether it's the ninth or the 10th frame to win a match, win a game, win a title. And I I ran into all the things that my body does wrong. My backswing gets too high. I grab the shot. My timing gets later or my footwork gets too fast. I've made all those mistakes so many times and I've worked on them. So when I got into that moment, I knew, this is what I'm going to focus on. I'm going to keep my feet slow. I'm going to keep my swing low. I'm going to be solid at the line. I'm going to hit my mark. And that was it. Describe your journey to this point on, on the PWBA tour. I mean, you started obviously in 2015 with the relaunch and then you win the tour championship. Um, and obviously last year, the U S women's open five titles overall, uh, and one of the best in the world, uh, without question. Um, Describe your journey from your rookie season to to now, which some might even call you a, a seasoned veteran, if you will. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that, but <laughs> um, it's been it's been a great journey. It's been a, a learning process in so many ways, both bowling and life in general. And you know, from the time I started on the tour in 2015, I just knew that this was where I was supposed to be and what I was supposed to be doing. And that I was going to put my whole heart and soul into it to try to be the best that I can be the best out there and just love what I do. I'm very fortunate that I get to do something that I love doing and, you know, both on the tour and traveling the world and competing for Team USA, everything that comes with it. Now, now I know one of the things that, you know, Emil and I kind of in our role with the PWBA, you know, we got to look ahead. We got to think about, um, the future as far as, you know, who's going to be the up and comers, who's going to be the next rookie of the year, player of the year. And I think your name falls into the 
kind of player of the year category there. When's it going to happen for you? Uh, like when you hear things like that, how do you feel about that as far as, you know, folks, you know, maybe putting expectations on you or is that something you even worry about? Um, I think the only way to answer that would be to say that there's nobody on this earth that can put a higher expectation on myself than I think I can. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't really affect me what other people think or say, because I promise you I'm thinking higher than that. And I expect more of that than myself. So um, if I'm upset after not living up to an expectation, I don't really feel like I owe it to other people or other people might think a certain way. It, it just matters how I think, you know, I, I know I'm better than that. I know I can do more than that. And I need to figure out a way to do just that. We talked before and I know you're a, a person or player who generally does not make their goals public. Um, I, I'm always curious why, why don't you make them public? Is it, is it more of something that you prefer to keep inside so you can kind of almost like you just talked about monitor yourself uh, in a sense and not worry about, you know, what other people might say you, you accomplished this or you didn't accomplish that? I think so. I think it just started when I was like younger in the sport. That's always obviously like the number one question that anybody interviewing you would ask. So from the time I was in high school, when people wanted to ask me what my goals were, I knew it would be absolutely ridiculous for me to tell them that my goal is to be the best bowler in the world and bowl for Team USA and win gold medals and bowl in the Olympics and do all this stuff. I couldn't tell them that. I could barely average 200 at the time. So I think I just always found a way to kind of say, you know, I'm going to keep my goals private. They're going to be to myself and I'm just going to show the world instead of telling them because to tell, tell somebody something, it's just words to actually do it is a different thing. Just, just letting you know that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to rest until I get you to one day, <laughs> one year, tell, tell me your goals. Um, he does ask every, every year. <laughs> See, Emil, you I'm finding live. really creative ways to backdoor that answer. Though. You, you are. You are. And I'm like, okay, I got to get a bit more creative in my questioning. <laughs> well, Emil, you can learn from this because you're always out there on Bowl TV talking about bowling four tournaments and running five Ks and you don't do any of them. So you got to keep it's those true. goals private, man. Got to keep them private. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Because the, the moment, the one moment I said I was going to bowl four tournaments, then uh, I had multiple accountability partners uh, within mm -hmm. the Bowl TV <laughs> chat to, to ask me about it every couple of weeks. So, yes, you are correct. <laughs> All right, Danielle, um, just kind of as you grew up as a bowler, you talked about in high school and obviously a great collegiate career at Fairleigh Dickinson. Uh, who are a few of the folks that you really looked up to, um, uh, maybe modeled your game after? Uh, just who were those players? So a, a lot of people kind of know my bowling history story, but for those that don't, I am very late into this sport. I didn't start bowling until I was in high school and even then it was kind of a just for fun thing it wasn't by no means competitive I did not grow up watching bowling on tv I did not grow up bowling youth tournaments around the country like a lot of my other peers that are at this level have um, so unfortunately I can't say I grew up watching these greats on the original PWBA tour and that was my dream I, I never had that opportunity so it was kind of a, a stepping stone as I went through my journey of the people that I idolized and looked up to. So, for example, to start bowling, my first tournament I ever bowled was a JBT. That's when I came in touch with Matt O'Grady. He was, I don't know what he had, 50, 100 JBT titles at the time. He was on Junior Team USA. I didn't know Junior Team USA, Team USA was a thing at that point. But then from being friends with him and learning his history, now 
Junior Team USA was something that I wanted to achieve. So then I ran into other girls in my area, like Brittany Hamilton, Kim Eulis. They've been on Team Team USA for years at the time. They were winning state titles. I looked up to them. Those were the people that, even though they were my age or just slightly older than me, what were they doing? Why were they great? How can I be like them? Through them, I was introduced to Team USA. That's where I saw Shannon O'Keefe and Stephanie Nation at the time. They were on Team USA for 10 plus years. They were amazing, winning gold medals for their country. I want that. How do I do that? Why are they great? What do they do that I can learn from to be like them? And it just kind of went from there. And as my window widened, I met all the greats from that are now from the past. And I did my research. I listened to stories and I just kind of gained the respect backwards, I guess, of instead of growing up learning, I just kind of did it as an adult. And now I learned what made all these people great and the amazing things that they have done. Since you, uh, you that's a great way to put that kind of learning backwards mm-hmm. in, in that sense. Um, is there anything that you've learned about, you know, some of the, the uh, past legends, for example, that um, you were surprised to find out or you, you realized you had some similarities with this you know, particular player, for example, um, anything like that? Um, I can't tell you exactly what they were because I don't want to mess up anybody's statistics, but um, the PWBA Hall of Fame dinner that we had last year was the greatest thing ever because obviously the people being inducted, I thought I knew very well. I knew their history. I knew what they did. And I spent the whole dinner hitting the people next to me going, oh my God, did you know that? I didn't know that. That's amazing. I can't believe that. So it was really cool to, to kind of get even deeper into what I already knew and I can't wait to continue doing that moving forward. Now, Mila, what were your thoughts of the PWBA Hall of Fame getting to kind of take in all the pageantry of that and just, uh, you know, the history, obviously some great competitors as well. What were your thoughts of uh, the ceremony? Well, you know, when it was obviously first announced that year that that, uh, the Hall of Fame will be returning, it was something that I think everyone was looking forward to um, and kind of the same thing as what Danielle just talked about, just the, you know, you know some things. in our case, it's, you know, we, we dive into the history, obviously a lot and try to make sure uh, things are updated, et cetera. So, but even still hearing, you know, just the amounts of titles, even, even if you knew what the number was, it's still different hearing it um, when they're being introduced during their hall of fame speech, um, their introduction video. Um, so all of those things, man, just really, it was an honor to be in the building uh, even, even looking around and, looking at uh, current players like, you know, Matt, for example, and she described it, watching their faces. And you can kind of tell, like, man, this really means a lot, not only to those who are being inducted, but to those who hope to be in their shoes one day. Um, and I thought that was one of the, the best things to see. And, and also, you know, it was really cool just to kind of get out the bowling alley in, in a sense, right? We, we don't really have an event like that where, you know, everyone's red carpet ready. So it was like cool to – you know, it gets suited. Um, everyone's wearing, you know, what they may walk down the red carpet in. And uh, so it, it was just nice to be in that setting. Uh, fun to see, obviously, those be inducted. Uh, and then probably to cap it off for us, we did a Bull TV um, specific interview, but we allowed uh, CDB, who, of course, has been inducted or will be inducted uh, for 2020. She's in uh, this class, but she interviewed Wendy and Leanne. And so they talked about all, all types of stories uh, and a specific thing we did for Bowl TV. So and the, the entire night was, was uh, spectacular. And then we went back to 
the Bowling Center, North Rock, and uh, continue to set up the live stream. So uh, it was a good night. Pretty special, pretty special. Now, Danielle, uh, you know, you've kind of talked about the way you've kind of worked your way up to find the folks who, um, you know, inspire you uh, in the sport of bowling. But, you know, for those youngsters who look up to you, what's that like to have someone come up to you, uh, you know, for an autograph, a photo? Uh, kind of what's that transition been like for you over the past few years? It's really, really cool. And as the PWBA tour is growing, you're just kind of seeing it more and more. You know, the first couple of years just doing pro-ams, you could tell that people kind of didn't really know who you were or if you were good or what you were capable of, you know, everyone's kind of testing the waters and just being respectful, but kind of filling it out. And now fast forward five years later, to so walk into a bowling center and literally have kids run up to me and be so excited to see me and just talk with me and get my autograph is such an honoring feeling. It's something that I can't really put into words to explain. It's, it's amazing. Speaking of the PWBA, uh, and you kind of touched on it briefly, but um, and we'll get into some Team USA moments, but uh, favorite PWBA moments, um, and those obviously can be wins, of course, but even maybe um, some memories or moments that didn't involve a win, but they still rank up uh, in, in your favorites list. Mm-hmm. So I have two that tie together that come to mind. Obviously, my wins and all my successful moments on the PWBA are up there, but those are kind of more the obvious answer. Um, the thing that comes to mind to me is when they announced that the tour was coming back. So rewind back to, it might've been, it was probably 2014 at the time when they made the announcement, but I'll never forget that day. Um, I came out of college and I wanted to increase um, my ability. I wanted to continue bowling. I wanted to bowl for Team USA. You know, I just clawed myself onto the adult team, just being part of the team, but I wanted to compete for them. I wanted to compete with all those girls that were so amazing. And I knew my only way to do that would be to continue getting better. Only way to continue getting better is to get out there and compete. So I took a year or two where I just went and bowled. I bowled all the guy stuff. I bowled the world bowling tour. There was no women's events to bowl at the time. There was no women's tour. So it was a completely different world. I was learning, but I was really fighting to just kind of keep my head above the water. Um, it definitely wasn't something that I could continue doing for years down the road. It was a, I knew it was a temporary thing. And I will never forget the day that I was practicing at high tour, lane 17. I remember sitting down in the chair and opening Facebook just to take a little break and seeing Peter Bay tours coming back. And it was the greatest feeling in the world. I read the headline. I read the article probably five times to make sure that like I was reading it right. I wasn't missing anything. It was real. I showed other people. I'm like, is this real? Do you think this is real? But I'll never forget that moment. And then that kind of ties into fast forward to the start of the tour. I unfortunately missed the first event um, of the tour in 2015 because I had a conflict with a really big international event. But the first event I bowled was in Lubbock. Um, and I just remember at some point through qualifying, kind of taking a step back and looking around at all the people that were bowling. And like, I almost had like an hour body experience where I was like, this is happening. I'm here. These are the greatest bowlers in the world. And they're all right here. And we're bowling under the same roof and we're bowling against each other. And I just felt like for the first time in my life, I really had that feeling where I was exactly where I was supposed to be. And this is what I was supposed to be doing. And this is where I belong. Wow. That's, that's way better than where I was when it was announced. Cause it was actually my birthday, October 9th, 2014. And I had taken the day off of work. It was a Friday 
And uh, I was doing something exciting too. I was going to get my license plates. So your story's better. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a good time. Wow. That, that, was, that was a it's fun. It's definitely one of those things we all remember though. Everyone, I bet you, that would be a good question to ask the other girls if they remember like where they were, what they were doing and their thoughts when they saw that posted. Absolutely. I agree. Actually. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> uh, Emil had kind of alluded to Team USA as well as he jots away his notes there. Um, but obviously, as you mentioned, that's been a big part of your uh, transition to becoming one of the top players in the world. So for you, uh, what's been some of your top moments uh, as part of the Team USA program? I'm very lucky to have a long list of these. Um, anytime I get to compete for Team USA, I get to call these girls that I compete against all year against all year now my teammates is such an amazing feeling and to be able to go after our dreams together is the greatest feeling in the world my top memories that i can think of the first one that comes to mind is winning doubles with kelly kulik in abu dhabi this was in 2015 uh, it was the first world medal not and it was gold but it was the first world medal i've ever won and I had, it, it's very similar to my first title. It kind of caught me off guard. Like I didn't know what, I never thought about how I would feel or how I would react to a moment like that. But then to see how it, I, emotionally I took it and how unbelievably proud and honored I was to be there in that moment, like totally caught me off guard. And I'll never forget that feeling. And then fast forward a couple of days later after that, we went on to win team gold. Um, I got to watch Liz Johnson shoot 300 to help us win team gold like storybook complete perfect situation just to get to a bowl with Liz Johnson was amazing but to watch her make history and do something like that in her last world event is I'm just so happy to be proud of it and then one more that stands out would be in 2017 again uh world championships in Las Vegas our trios match our famous trios match where unfortunately Shannon O'Keefe my teammate it was myself Shannon O'Keefe and Kelly Kulik and Shannon was super sick to the point where we were talking about possibly not bowling, probably having to pull out of the, um, the metal match. And it, I remember they were introducing us. Our coach said, you know, just get ready. She might be here. She's trying her best. Obviously Shannon's the toughest competitor that we all know. She's not going to let an opportunity like that slip, but we knew how sick she was. So I just remember staring at, where you walk around in South Point, the corner where she would come around just like praying that she would find the strength and the, the ability to do this. And it was literally at that moment she walked around the corner and then we went on to win after that. Wow. Those are yes. some, uh, some serious moments. We talked to Shannon uh, previously and uh, obviously she mentioned uh, that same match as well. I I'm curious. And uh, I know obviously the, you know, Team USA and, and the team and, and um, you know, matchups and how they break down trios and, and whatnot is, can be different from event to event. Um, but I feel that you often bowl with Kelly. Um, how, how, um, how, how have you been so successful uh, as doubles partners? And, you know, what has worked well? What's the synergy like working with one of the greatest of all time? Um, yeah, I bowled doubles with Kelly a lot um, from the start. You know, I was the young one on, on Team USA. It was, I don't really know why they put us together to start. It, nothing of it really makes sense. We don't play the lanes the same. It, it's not like we have exactly the same personalities. It's not like we're polar opposites where you can even say that makes sense. I don't know. But we started, I think, in Abu Dhabi was the first time we bowled doubles together. Um, and we won. And then 
they kind of kept us together after that. We went on to bowl the world games and champion to champions and um, we bowled worlds another year together. And, you know, it, it just works for whatever reason. We don't play the lanes the same, but we can communicate really well where she knows my game very well. I know her game very well, but we're not doing the same thing. So it, it's not like we're ever both trapped or we're both going off. We balance each other out. And I guess that's what makes a successful duo. Now, here's a theoretical question. Coach Rod calling you up oh. for a Team USA event. Mm-hmm. Says, Danielle, you can pick any doubles partner you want. Who would it be? That's a really hard question. I don't want to play this game. <laughs> okay, okay. I that that was a good game. All of them. That was a good game. It's a good game. Is this like anybody in the and obviously who would be eligible? Like anyone, right? Anyone, yeah. What if we give you three opportunities? Okay. We'll give you three people. Like you could at least oh, I, narrow, I'm gonna pick you, three people. Yeah, you get to narrow the list down to three, and then you can, you know, you'd have to choose one. But give us three. Okay. I mean, Kelly obviously is definitely on that list. We've had great success before. Um, I would have to throw Liz Johnson on that list. She is the greatest of all time. Any opportunity I have to bowl with her. Um, and, you know, I really haven't had that many. I actually have bowled a doubles event with her in the past. We didn't do very well, so I'd love to redeem that. Um, and then I would have to say Shannon O'Keefe. She's the greatest bowler out there right now, and I would love to have her on my team and let's go tackle the world together. I think we should just make this a qualifying event. We'll have those three both <laughs> to be your doubles partner. So there we go. <laughs> That's funny. I, I had a um, something you mentioned um, previously, and I, I hate that I do this sometimes, but I had like two follow-ups. Oh, uh, prior to the tour beginning, of course, I mean, we talked about that as one of your favorite memories. Um, you were out on the World Bowling Tour and bowling some PBA events. Um, and now understanding what that experience was like. Uh, have you ever get a chance to talk with, uh, for example, Liz or Kelly about their experiences uh, when they were bowling, you know, kind of exclusively on the PBA? Maybe, you know, if there were any similarities, some things that you paid attention to or also experienced uh, during, uh, you know, some of the, th- the things that they experienced, for example? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I've relied a lot on, you know, the other female bowlers that have competed on the men's tour for advice, because it is really a, a totally different world. Um, it's a different game on the lanes and it really attacks you mentally different because as I said before, it's so situational and there's just times where, you know, I was bowling really good. My reps, my coaches are standing behind me saying, you're throwing it great. You're hitting your mark. You have the right ball in your hand, but you can't shoot over 180 and you just have to be okay with that. And I couldn't comprehend that. How could I be okay with that? That's not acceptable. I need to figure this out. But then talking to the other girls kind of taught me that, you know, there are certain times where that is just all you can do. That's what the lane's providing you. And, you know, you're just going to have to expand your toolbox and expand your mental game and really learn how to grind out those moments and then attack when you have it. And, I learned a lot from mostly Liz because she kind of, I, I think I sh- strayed from my own game for a few years for too long, trying to figure out, well, if the guys are hooking the whole lane, I have to figure out how to hook the whole lane with less rep rate. I have to drop my ball speed. I have to increase my rotation. I tried doing way, way, way too much. And I got away from what I'm really good at and what Liz does, which she's really successful with against the guys is she plays her game, whether it's right, wrong, 
she knows she's the best at it. And if she has a crack to hit, she's going to hit that crack and out bowl them. So that's kind of the more the route I've gone over the last year or so, instead of trying to really do what they're doing and what I think the lane's trying to tell me to do, I'm doing more what I'm best at and trying to just be better at it than everyone else. And it's been working a little bit better. Nicely done. Nicely done. Um, World Bowling, Team USA, PWBA, we've, we've talked about your travel schedule. Uh, and I know that uh, what's your country list up to at, at this point? How many have you been to? I think it's 35. Okay. So 35 countries. I know that's even more difficult potentially to narrow down, which, which is your favorite. Um, but give us your, uh, give us your top five countries that you've been to or you've visited and then give a reason why, you know, the viewers, the, the listeners of our podcast should go visit those respective countries. Okay. Um, First of all, I love everywhere I go. I just love the experience of traveling and being in a strange place that you've never been before and just absorbing the culture and all the differences. It's so it's really hard for me to say where my favorite place is because it's the last place I went and the next place I'm going and everywhere in between. But in order to pick my top five, the first one that comes to mind would be Iceland. I've been there twice now. It's absolutely gorgeous. I've been there twice in the winter, so it's, I haven't seen the summertime. I've heard the summertime is beautiful, but in the winter, it's snow everywhere, snow-covered mountains. There's so much to see and do from the waterfalls to the, the volcanoes to the landscape. It's just, it's a nature lover's dream place. Um, my other favorite place would be it was a little city in Belgium. It's called Ghent. It's about an hour, maybe an hour and a half train ride from Brussels. It's like a little fairy tale city. Um, there's really not much there. It's not like going to Rome where you see the Colosseum or going to Paris where you see the Eiffel Tower. There's no sights there to see. There's nothing really to do. It's just this beautiful, quaint little town where you can just really absorb the culture and the history and, you know, see all the different things that there are to see, eat the food, go to the different places. It was such an amazing trip. Um, Somewhere in Asia, I don't know if I can narrow down one country. I love South Korea. I love Japan. I love Thailand. It's really hard for me to just pick one, but I just love Asia in general, um, mostly for the food. I'm a big foodie, and the food over there is just the best. Korean barbecue, sushi, shabu-shabu, the list goes on and on. Um, I think I'm up to four now, right? Yep, you're on number four. Number four, um, I really loved Australia. I didn't like the flight there because it was the longest trip I've ever been on. And I love traveling, but that was a long trip. Um, but I loved it there. I loved their, that I could kind of, I guess, learn their culture easier than other places where you go to other countries, they speak a different language. You're only really kind of learning a word or two. But in Australia, they speak English, but they don't. They speak a totally different language. So, but you can learn it because it's still your word. So being able to really communicate with them and learn that they have the same vocabulary as us, but different meanings is really funny. It was really entertaining. We even did a whole video while we were there that was just about all of these slangs where we were kind of guessing what certain phrases meant and trying to say certain things. And it, it was really fun. And then my last place I would say would be UAE, uh, specifically Dubai. It's a futuristic world from the time you step into the city. It's just 
tall, beautiful skyscrapers and big fancy cars and crazy architecture and shops everywhere and you name it. It's just like literally going into a, a future years down the road, what you would imagine. That's Dubai. I'm impressed that you, you were able to narrow this down. Nicely done. I can keep going. <laughs> I can live all the places. I love them all. <laughs> Uh, Danielle, uh, some folks may not uh, may not know that the the bowling bug runs pretty deep in your family, and you have some younger siblings who are uh, starting to find some success not only locally but uh, at some of the uh, premier youth events, uh, junior gold. Uh, tell us a little bit about what it's like to have them kind of kind of following in your steps uh, in bowling. Um, it's awesome. I love it. However, I feel for every parent that has ever sat in the back or on the sidelines of competition and watched their children because it's the hardest thing that I could ever imagine doing. Just sitting in the back, trying, wanting to help, wanting to control, wanting to, you know, just do anything that I can and not being able to do anything but watch. And it's really, really challenging. But at the same point, being able to watch them be successful and accomplish their dreams has been the most rewarding feeling. I actually get more emotional watching them do something great than I do for myself than I do for my own wins. So it, it's just to be able to have any part of helping them on their journey has been such a rewarding feeling. Now for those who, who don't know, um, you have, uh, and I'm going to just make sure I, I need to test my skills again. So Nick, <laughs> uh, Victoria and Gianna, right? Those are the three bowlers. I have five siblings all in all. Um, Robert and Carly are bowling for fun. I'm not sure if they're going to take it, you know, to the next level. Um, And then, yes, Nick, Victoria, and Gianna, they all bowl for their high school team. Victoria and Nick compete at Junior Gold and Storm Youth and anything else that they can kind of get their hands on. And um, they're both on the track to bowl in college. Uh, I'm not sure where Gianna is yet. She's still pretty young, so she's figuring out her direction still. Nick also plays baseball, right? Yes, he does. Nick plays baseball, tour plays softball. We're a big athlete family. We, we're in every sport. Describe their uh, their their personalities as a, as a sister, like from from the sister point of view. You're trying to get me in trouble here, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> they're all awesome and amazing, and yeah, they're they're great. It's hard to really separate them because they all have such different personalities. But at the end of the day, we're all the same. We're very driven and focused and determined. And I think where that does that uh, do us all. where does that part come from? Is that a family trait? Um, I think so. I think so. I know my mom always jokes about that. She goes, "I don't know where the athletes came from because she doesn't really consider herself <laughs> all that athletic." And uh, we're not really sure, but there's something there. There's something with the mindset of having to be successful for sure. So how much trouble are you and your brothers and sisters getting your mom into right now? None. We're all angels. Everyone's an angel. (laughs) Have a chart as to who makes her more mad. Hi mom. (laughs) (laughs) That's definitely, that's definitely always, definitely one of the fun things we we always love seeing her out at the uh, at the PWBA tour events when you're making shows and all that and getting to celebrate those moments with her so uh, we've gotten to know your family very well over the past uh, couple of years so we we certainly appreciate that as well too so yeah it's a fun group i don't think it's you would call it getting in trouble i think it's just keeping things entertaining 
What's uh, how how is Jasper keeping you guys entertained during this this quarantine period? I think he loves it. He loves having people home. He's always been that way. He he's always struggled with if we leave the house and leave him home by himself. He lo- just wants to go everywhere. He wants to be in the car with us or on walks with us and just involved in whatever we're doing. So to have people home all the time, he's just absolutely loving it. We're going on walks. There's always somebody on a couch to kind of go and snuggle up with. He's got to be in his glory. For context, Jasper is the family's uh, dog. So just to make sure people know who we're referring to. One of the most interesting things that I've learned about you over the years is, I believe you mentioned to me, um, sometimes when you're on tour during the stop, uh, you look for a particular or any type of, uh, uh, not shelter per se, but uh, somewhere where you may be able to visit uh, uh, animals. Is that that Mm -hmm. still the same? Yeah, um, we started doing that probably two summers ago. Um, one of my tour reps at the time, Jim Callahan, I had a horrible block. I was really upset. I think it was during the U.S. Open or another major event where it was a long format. So it's not like I was in trouble or jeopardy of making the cut, but I had a really bad morning and I had to have a good night. And during lunch, he knew there was a dog place right down the street and he knows I love dogs. He's always showing me pictures of dogs. That's kind of my mental key when I'm struggling with bowling he'll just walk over with his phone and look at this cute puppy and I feel better but he took me to this it was um I don't know exactly what it was not a shelter but a dog store where they were just kind of taking care of them and they had a section where you could play with the dogs and it was perfect and I had a great block that night because I was able to reset and just be happy and smile and be around puppies which is something that I love so that's something that I started kind of taking with me to other events um every time that I, it's hard to do on the weekends where we don't really have time to kind of find places. But when we return to places where I know where they are, if we have a week in a spot, I definitely look up where the local places and have gone and played with the puppies in between rounds before. Now, is there a group of players that you do with this or do with this activity or is it kind of uh, kind of just your thing? Yeah, it's just been my thing for right now. I haven't really brought many people with me. We've talked about it though. There's other girls that you know, they see my pictures and they're like, where did you go? Take me with you next time. So it might turn into something. That's what's up. Um, well, we're, we're nearing the end and uh, we, we have a special Aaron specific question. We, we always save that for the end, at least early on in our podcast journey. Um, so since bowling um, is not at the forefront at this point in time, what activity do you miss most aside from bowling? that uh, that was kind of part of your normal routine? I know this is going to sound funny to a lot of people because it's not their normal, but I miss traveling. I miss the airport and I miss planning traveling. Um, I consider myself literally, I have become a professional travel planner. Uh, I always joke I could be a travel agent. It's a big deal. I ever needed to because most of my life is either training or planning to compete, right? I could train all day, but when I'm home, I'm looking at flights, I'm looking at hotels, I'm on Priceline, I'm on whatever it is that I'm trying to figure out, car rentals, Expedia, and that, that's what my life is consumed of, especially at this time. This time right now, preparing for tour, I have 14 weeks, and then I go right into overseas after that. So um, I just miss doing that. You know, I have a whole system down as to what, fair class to book and what airline I fly and all my points and all, you know, all the stuff that goes along with it. And I miss that. Best and worst travel story before we get to Aaron's question. 
best travel story. That's hard. Anytime that I make it successfully to my destination with all of my luggage and get upgraded is a great travel story. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I like that. The upgrade is the important part of that. The bags are so so. Um, <laughs> my worst travel story is kind of, it's not one particular story. I went through a year, probably maybe four or five years ago. So back to the start of tour, maybe even just before it, where every trip I went on for at least a year, something went wrong. It was delayed. I missed my connection. They lost my bags. The flight was canceled. Emergency landings in random cities. I spent more nights in random cities between flight cancellations and misconnections than I could even begin to count. It, it was awful to the point where people like my Team USA team would literally be like, she needs to go on a different flight and we're going to fly on this one and meet her there because we can't have this go wrong to everybody. <laughs> Thankfully, that wave has turned since then. But it was, it was a bad streak of luck. <laughs> I told a fib, by the way, too. Uh, I do have one more. Uh, prior to hearing the news about the tour, uh, what were you looking forward to doing, like from a professional perspective? Um, you know, you got your degree. Um, what What did your degree say that you were going to do, and you know, what might you be doing if there was no professional? Ball? My degree says I was going to be an elementary school teacher, and I. I don't know if I could honestly say I could see myself doing that right now. So I'm very happy and I'm just a firm believer that, you know, life works out the way it's supposed to be. So I love that I went to school for that. I have that in my back pocket. I also have a psychology degree that was focused in kids. So that still helps me to this day between my siblings and being able to coach and possibly coaching moving forward if I were to work with a high school or college team. So I don't regret that experience at all, but I'm very happy that I'm a bowler right now. All right. Hey, Ron. Emil. All right. Let's get to it. Final question. Danielle, what yes. is your binge watch recommendation? I'm really not a binge watcher. The only time I binge watch shows, honestly, is when I'm traveling on an airplane. I'll sit there and watch show after show. But even right now with everything going on, I'm just not the type of person to sit on a couch and kind of watch a show endlessly. Um, but I do have my list. I have my long-term list of things that I've watched before that I always go back to. Friends is my all-time favorite. I love Entourage, um, Manifest, that's currently on right now. They just finished season two. If you haven't seen that, that's a great show to go back and watch before they start season three, hopefully. Um, on Netflix, I've just got into Fuller House. I've never seen Full House. <laughs> I know a lot of people are going to laugh at I know. What? But I'm loving Fuller House. So I might go through Fuller House and then go back and watch Full House. If it works that way, I'm not sure yet. We'll see how long all this goes for. Um, what else? Uh, Designated Survivor is one of my favorites. Um, you is definitely a show. That show I did binge watch because once you start watching it, you can't turn it off. Um, and then we've also invested in Disney Plus. So okay. I've gone back and rewatched Boy Meets World and Hannah Montana and all the shows that I've watched growing up. That's kind of been my, my thing for the last week or so. Mm, that's it. It's a pretty oh, healthy list, though, there. <laughs> I'm, I'm shocked by this. We're going to have to have you back on because we, we need to talk about this once you finish it, or finish them, I should say, both shows. Which shows? Fuller, uh, Fuller, Fuller and Full House. <laughs> yeah. I know. I get that a lot whenever I say I've never seen Full House. I, I'm bad with that stuff. If you name most of like the all-time 
American. Every person has seen this movie growing up in America. I haven't seen it. Same thing with TV shows. I'm the worst. <laughs> the uh, Manifest, is that a sh- the show? Um, it has something to do with, with travel, right? Planes and people are on a, on a list, but then they disappear or something like that. Yep. Yeah. People get on a plane. Um, they travel from their destination, from where they leave to their destination. And when they land, they find out that the plane's been missing for five years. Everybody that was on land that was at home thought that the plane went missing. It crashed. They were gone. And they just thought they took a two hour flight and everything was back to normal. So the whole show is kind of figuring out how they can get back into their lives of being assumed dead for five years and also trying to figure out what happened with the plane and how all this happened. And it's really good. That sounds like a good show. I don't know how you're watching it, considering how much you are you are on a plane. Yes, it's definitely not a watch on the plane show. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Uh, any final thoughts here? Uh, no, just uh, thanks for the interview. It was awesome. Definitely uh, enjoyed the opportunity to hear a little bit more about your PWBA and Team USA journey. Um, so thank you, Danielle. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Absolutely, DMAC. We appreciate it. We uh, look forward to having you back on um, at some point in the future, uh, hopefully once the season begins um, as well. So this was episode number four, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Please be on the lookout, of course, more on Bold TV and, of course, on the PWBA social channels. One thing we haven't been doing but we should do uh, because you should be following Danielle McEwen. Uh, DMAC, let the viewers or watchers, listeners know where they can follow you on social media. Um, social media, Facebook is just my name, Danielle McEwen. Instagram is DMAC9191. And Twitter would be Danielle underscore McEwen. Excellent. Please go follow Danielle because she's going to take you to wherever she's traveling to. She's going to show you some cool pictures, some foodie pics, um, and then obviously everything they're doing now, of course, at, at home. She, she mentioned video games earlier, and I was like, what game are they playing? Um, and she mentioned it earlier in this interview so uh, thanks again Danielle Uh, thank you of course to Aaron Smith my name is Emil Williams Jr. this has been episode number four of the PWBA podcast you watched it right here on Bold TV